Welcome to the Thanks Therapy podcast. Before we start, if you're in crisis or need urgent support, please Google the Samaritans and the country in which you live. Help can be found online and via the phone. We also put local and national helpline numbers and links in the show notes and on social media. Don't suffer alone. Things can and will get better. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Hannah Lydon. And I'm Emma Lydon, and this is our Therapy Appreciation Podcast, Thanks Therapy, where we hope to demystify, destigmatize, and encourage the appreciation of good and useful therapy. And today we're talking all about the different types of therapy. How do we know what to go for and what not to go for? Thanks Therapy! Thanks Therapy! So Hannah, before we start, how are you? How are you doing? You know, I'm okay actually. Thank you for asking. That's good. I no had a problem. swim. I had a swim in the sea today. Oh wow! The ocean. That was really nice. Um, I haven't done that in a while. It is so good for you. Yeah. A lot of people do sea swimming as a therapeutic process. I admire them because it was cold as balls. And like, yeah. I'm not used to it, but I know that people do it as like a breathing, resilience, body reset type experience, which is, yeah. sounds awesome, but I was just splashing. You just like swimming in the sea. I was just doing splashy, splashy. Our family are big into swimming and sea swimming. Mm-hmm. And, um, Genetic requirements. Yeah. Um, I always, always, the thing that happens in, in our family is you go to the beach and then um, dad hassles you to go in the water. <laughs> yeah. Have you been in? Have you been in properly? And properly means up to you've your been shoulders. up to your shoulders. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, sometimes I just splash my shoulders to make it look like I'd been in He'll properly. you probably be able to tell. I think you'd be able to tell. How are you anyway? I am good. Thank you for asking. Um, I'm actually particularly feeling very energized at the minute um I have had a lot of things going on um I've enjoyed developing this podcast with you mm-hmm. that's been really exciting it's been a new endeavor yes um I've got a job interview so I've been preparing for that oh. um all of those intellectual pursuits I really enjoy actually the we have had a bit of a disaster in the family in that my youngest child has broken his arm yeah. right at the start of the holidays. So that was pretty stressful and very, very unfortunate for him. But he's been really brave about it. Um, and we're getting on with it, really, you know. Yeah, so. sounds like it. But um, I always get really enthusiastic when there's nice, good intellectual products. Mm happening well, that's funny actually you should mention that because i was chatting to a friend today and they were like oh you know how's your mood mm-hmm. this is a friend who i have like proper kind of quite frank conversations with about like our respective mental healths mm-hmm. and i was saying like you know i actually i'm doing pretty good and i think it's because i know i'm starting my master's in september yeah and i have something to look forward to because i didn't really have that before um and i think i need intellectual stimulation yes it is also it reminds me of thinking about it's that's really self-actualization is what we're doing there isn't it? it's the top of maslow's hierarchy of needs which we should probably talk about sometime i can't believe we haven't talked about that yet (laughs) we're only on episode two give us time give us time okay so let's get to it we're going to talk about different types of therapy yeah um we really want these first few episodes to be sort of like introductory Get to know us and also get to know what we're, you know, trying to trying to get across here. And that includes educating a little bit about different types of therapy. So, Hannah, tell me, have you experienced many different types of therapy in your life? Um, for someone who bangs on about therapy as much as I do, <laughs> I actually haven't tried a huge range, nor do I think that that would actually be like, you know, that's not a good aim, probably. No, no, I'm probably not so. going to engage. But... My experience with therapy began when I was like a teenager, uh, maybe 17, can't really remember. Um, And I did like straightforward talking therapy, 
I don't think I, I don't, I don't remember anyone being like, you're going to go to CBT or you're going sure. to psychotherapy. I think it was just like, here's a therapist we find. My Did they use the word counselor or therapist? I, th- I can't really remember. I think it was a mix of both. Okay. I think it was like, depending who I was talking to, I'd be like, oh, I go to counseling. Mm. But I remember it as like therapy. therapy. Okay. Um, so I, I think I took it pretty seriously. Quite a serious 17 year old. <laughs> um, and then in university, I went to a few CBD courses like through the university um, here and there. And I always just remember completing them and being like, uh, I wish there was more. Is that just the end? Mm. <laughs> I want more. I, I, you know. It felt insufficient. It did feel very insufficient. Um, yeah. And I did because at the time I didn't know what. I was looking for and what would have better suited me, which I now know was trauma-informed therapy or psychotherapy. Um, I'm with my current therapist who I've been seeing for about like nearly four years. We do psychodynamic therapy, which for me has meant engaging with like loads of different techniques. Start off with just talking and like, you know, sitting in a room and crying sort of thing <laughs> and figuring out what's wrong. And... Then, you know, branched out into like Santre, art, blah, blah, blah. But we can talk more about that later, I think. Yeah. Um, so in terms of different types of therapy, I think it's it's quite a complicated question and not one that we can actually really cover in this episode without feeling like, for me, feeling like we're being kind of reductionist. But yeah. the point of what we're trying to do here is to give people an idea of when they go to look for therapy and they see different terms, what does that actually mean? Yeah. You know, what what can they expect from that? Where do those terms come from? Um, because, you know, it'd be great if there was like three types of therapy or <laughs> like 14, as I saw in one BuzzFeed article. Um, <laughs> but there are so many different Buzzfeed. types of therapy. Yeah. Which can make it difficult to explain, you know. So um want to talk about some of the common types of therapy that most people are likely to come across if they're going to engage in therapy. So you've had psychodynamic psychotherapy. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's my main that's my main one. I really love it. Um I don't have any plans to not go. I think I'm just gonna go for as long as possible. Um my understanding of the term psychodynamic is that the therapist borrows, quote unquote, from various disciplines. Mm-hmm. Um like working with the client to see what they respond well to, um, what kind of techniques help them express themselves better. Um, but that's just as a client that I understand. So Dr. Emma, correct <laughs> me if I'm wrong. Um, I think it has its roots in traditional psychoanalysis. Is that? Yes. Oh, yes. Definitely. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah, it does indeed. I was yeah. thinking about this when I was kind of like preparing for the episode and I was like, I, I just actually don't really know what it is I go and do every week no I, th- I mean I think that, you have a much it? better idea than most really you know um, well I like it because the idea of being able to go and not know what the session is going to look like um because sort of you, you know maybe 15 minutes into the kind of initial hello what do you want to do like this is your time as mm-hmm. a phrase that's used quite a lot so I can say you know I don't really feel like chatting I don't really you know I'm feeling down and I want to um just kind of get out of it a mm-hmm. little bit I can just suggest drawing or like we've done sand tray work mm-hmm. um, which I have loved and find fascinating but also there's no pressure to engage with those techniques um you can just be silent for a session you can you know totally disengage mm. which can be productive in and of itself so I, I like it it feels like nurturing is the word that would come to mind mm-hmm. um but I think I'm doing a lot of assuming that our listeners are familiar with a lot of those terms I've just used. So should we clarify? Yes, I want to make sure that we are explaining things for people who want more information, um, as well as giving some good detail for people who already have an interest in the area, you know. So, sure. um, so obviously psychotherapy originated with the work of um, Sigmund Freud and a number of other analysis analysts Sorry, around the that time um and we make a distinction between psychoanalysis which still exists today and st- is still practiced but that's super intense and you go like five times a week minimum you know often you go more times a week um and 
psychodynamic psychotherapy, which is based on the same teachings but is less intense and focuses on dealing with unhelpful patterns of behaviour, which often have their origin in childhood experiences. Yeah, my I mean, I am interested in the Freud stuff. Is it, Am I right in thinking that a lot of that is that the the client doesn't look at the they don't look at each other. The client lies or reclines. Yeah, meant so to be speaking just into the space, and then the analyst, I don't know, catches your words behind you. <laughs> yeah. So the traditional <laughs> image, <laughs> yeah, the traditional image of psychoanalysis is the therapist sitting on a chair behind the head of the yeah. um. Uh, of the patient and that was all to do with projection and transference and and trying to remove all barriers to the the clients we would say client now but they said patients back yeah. in the day um they're get them getting in touch with their unconscious essentially you know yeah, so yeah. It, that that was the idea behind that yeah that's my understanding of the freud stuff i don't know like a huge deal about him i think in uni i read a few of his things but I mean that was ages ago um but at the moment and with my therapist we've been talking a bit about Carl Jung who I think is relevant here because he's like one of the big yep big names heavy hitters um mentioned in the same breath as Freud a lot of the time which probably like another episode I think we we should do a deep dive a Freud Jung episode because it would be hilarious among other things but (laughs) Like Battle of the Bands. Yeah. (laughs) But I think he's relevant to mention here because you mentioned unhelpful patterns of behavior that originate often from like early life or childhood. And I think my understanding anyway is that Jung talks about these, but he refers to them as complexes Mm. or emotionally charged associations. Um, And like, you know, who among us does not have those? Mm. And those two, they did work together. So like, I think a lot of the, ideas are shared mm. even if the language is different well the language is different but so they did know each other i think young was slightly younger than freud Ooh, stop <laughs> it uh, um <laughs> but they both advocated analysis for the treatment of mental illness so this was the start of the development of analysis being used so rather than the biomedical model of essentially um psychiatric disorders originate in the in the physical area of the brain and they have to be treated with medication and even that was really uh, primitive at that stage okay what um, time period are we talking here so like, like the so 1900 right around 19 both sides of that right they they worked and trained and that's so great like to think about that is so crazy because i that i think of when i think of medical treatment in that time mm. i'm thinking of like cocaine Ugh. leeches <laughs> funny you should mention that Freud loved a bit of cocaine <laughs> Really? Well, yeah, at that time, cocaine was like... um, Medicinal? Yeah, it was all like, Marty does this joke about, oh, you've got ghosts in your blood, you should do cocaine about it. (laughs) Well, the army was using cocaine and it was like, this is a wonder drug. It means our soldiers can like fight for three days straight. And Freud got wind of this and started treating everybody, including himself, with cocaine. And then one one of his associates, who was addicted to opium at the time he was like you should use this cocaine to get off the opium but then the guy got addicted to cocaine and Freud was like oh I probably shouldn't use cocaine too much so he just used it occasionally after that cool that's way chill (laughs) I know (laughs) they don't mention that in the Freud museum I know a lot of the stories are kind of a bit like that so anyway um they so initially when they first met they loved each other and they apparently talked for like 12 hours straight and they were like this is the only man I've ever met who can you know understand me at this level or whatever I can't remember who said that but they were like they great probably thought that. but soon their ideas started to separate so Freud was was primarily a materialist and um and Jung was more interested in the unconscious in terms of connections with mysticism a little bit like so Jung believed that the unconscious when we access the unconscious we're not just accessing our own unconscious but like a collective unconscious and an ancestral unconscious and Freud did not follow him with that idea okay and um also Freud very often 
um, uh, associated the energy of the psyche being blocked for some sexual reason. Yeah, he so was all about sex. <laughs> he was he? obsessed with sex, and he also had some interpretations about like the infant sexuality. Yeah, you know, and um, Young was like, "I'm not sure about that at all." <laughs> you know, I don't know. I think you're just obsessed with sex, Freud. <laughs> um, another funny story is that um, so Freud's wife Martha had a sister. Oh, it was like Minna or something she was called. And her fiancé died and she came to live with the Freuds. And whether there was any truth in this or not, but Young spread the rumour that Freud was having an affair with her. Mm-hmm. And I just love, I just love the kind of, you know, daft behind the scenes drama that was well, going on I mean, in psychoanalysis at the time. It's probably you know? not that outrageous an assumption considering he was... Really into sex. I know. Apparently, some historians have tr- sort of felt that they could verify that he did indeed have an affair with her based on his correspondence around a particular time mm. and the trip that they took to Italy or something like that. But and just him and his wife's sister? Yeah, him and his wife's sister, yeah. Oh, I mean, okay. So, you know, who knows? But anyway, um, so today, <laughs> some people can be really scathing about Freudian psychotherapy. Yeah. Um, Psychologists in particular feel that given the scientific advances and what we know about the mind, that it is very outdated. A lot of the ideas are very outdated. Um, However, I feel there's a lot to be said about early experience and the influence of early experience, um, patterns of behavior, internalizes internalizations about what our value and worth is that come from those early days mm. um and of course attachment which we are going to get into big time on another I can't episode wait to get for into sure big time attachment time okay yes so i also think this is a good time to mention that in order to to come back to the point of this whole podcast which yes is to please do that thank you etc that in order to attend therapy and like benefit from it you do not have to give a shit about Freud or Jung. No, or you any don't. Any of that stuff that we just talked about. We are just super nerds about that and love it. It's like yeah. scandal time and also those. it's interesting to read. But you do not need to know like theories about the mind, subconscious, all that stuff. Um, what is more important that than all that stuff is going into the experience of therapy with like an open mind, open heart, Building like a trusting relationship with your therapist. Um, and then if you want into that stuff, there is space there for you to do so. Um, like we love that kind of thing because we're like in literature and, you know, talking about psychology in a nerdy kind of way. And yeah. I like reading about dreams and subconscious stuff. And yeah. Like spirituality, like you mentioned, is kind of stuff that you'd get into if you were reading about young. But that's only developed. I think it's worth saying for our listeners who mm. might be being like right okay we get it you love books <laughs> for me that's only developed in like the past couple of years of therapy because in the beginning of me attending therapy it was like hi I need help today can you help me be less mental like also don't make it super complicated just fix me basically yeah um so if she had been like have you heard of Jung's theory of individuation I would have mm. been like bye I'm gonna go to hospital yeah. So the point of all of that, all of that is to say, yeah, it could be that kind of chat early on could be alienating, but it is worth mentioning just to give kind of like an idea of the scale of depth that is available um, with the many types of therapy that are out there. You are the client and like a good therapist won't start making you read difficult theory or oh, listen no. to that you talk listen to them talk about stuff like that yeah. unless you're unless you're kind of going hey you know is there some can I do reading or like what's a good thing to look up Absolutely. for this kind of thing um so yeah just wanted to get in there with the disclaimers no thank you very much for doing that and I should also <laughs> nerdiness I should make a disclaimer <laughs> as well to say I'm absolutely by no means a uh, first of all, I'm not a psychotherapist. I ha- don't have training in psychotherapy. I have an interest in psychotherapy, which goes alongside psychological knowledge, counselling knowledge, and knowledge of the field in general. You know, yeah. Um, and we do have to be careful that we don't become a thanks psychotherapy podcast. You know, mm, other types of true. therapy are available. That's the disclaimer. Yes. 
Um, and also, just to reiterate, you definitely don't need to know what these old white dudes were all about. Um, yeah, it's a lot of. There's a lot of old white dudes. Oh, there's always sorry. a lot of old white dudes. No, um, you don't. You don't need to know. That's not a prerequisite for um, getting benefit out of the process at all. Um, I suppose that we're just still discovering what this podcast is about. Um, and it's it's an organic process for us as much as it is, um, and it's, it's similar to the process of therapy. And oh it's my similar, god! Yeah, it echoes <laughs> it. It does echo it. Um, and I, th- I think we're making a podcast that we ourselves would be interested in, presuming that there are other people out there who are like us. Please God, let there be some other people. fingers like, crossed. Otherwise, this will be a massive embarrassment. <laughs> I mean, that's going to be... It'd be... A, yeah. Um, so just to go back to what kind of therapy you might encounter out in the world, thanks for drawing us back to the point there when, you know, I was Absolutely. getting off into um, drama between psychotherapists. <laughs> um, so, for example, what I would see as the kind of the polar opposite of psychotherapy is CBT. You're calling that... The, that's a big statement. Polar opposite. Well, I suppose because it's cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah. So it's um where analysis is thinking about feelings and unconscious motivations. Mm-hmm. Thinking about cognitive behavioral therapy, essentially what it's looking at is the unhelpful thinking patterns. So it's yes. whole theory base is that your thoughts control your behaviors and your feelings so if Mm. you can if you can correct the thoughts the unhelpful helpful thinking patterns um and the learned patterns of behavior then you can um impact the emotional aspect of things Mm. so it doesn't focus on the emotional part Mm. it doesn't focus on the feelings necessarily it focuses on the product of the feelings yeah um and so you know, I, I think we have like kind of low key slagged off CBT a little bit on this podcast so far, only because well. you didn't have a brilliant experience with it <laughs> and it wouldn't be our preferred go to thing. But it is super effective, um, particularly for anxiety. And did you yes. know that it's one of the only it's um, among the only evidence based practices that has clinical has bunches of clinical evidence proving that it works and is recommended by NICE. So it's the it's the talking therapy that's recommended by NICE. Um and that means that basically they tested people before having their therapy and after and there's a demonstrable effect in enough people to show a significant effect size. Is that like at the end of what, twelve sessions or whatever? Or? Yeah. I mean usually I would say it's it's Six or twelve sessions, mostly it's twelve because six I mean can't do anything it's not in really six gonna sessions, stick in like, six. But okay. I mean I used to do six sessions with a core um questionnaire at the start and, and the end. Yeah. Um and so you do a questionnaire at the start and it gives you a score and then oh, you yeah. do your you do you do your sessions. Sometimes you do a core questionnaire in the middle. I remember I remember doing those. I yeah. think that was a lot of what I didn't like. I was like fucking questioner is not gonna help like i need help here so i think that was just my experience of it was quite negative i think the other thing is is that um i mean clinical psychologists use cbt it's one of the tools in their you know tool belt of things that they can bring out to help a person in the room you know um and they they do that because because it works you know and some criticisms of cbt are that it's a sticking plaster meaning that it's a temporary solution to a problem that it's not getting to the root of the problem it's it's covering it up however there is a benefit to getting someone back to functionality oh god and i would never i would say if you if that's what's available to you and you're anxious 100 percent go for it particularly because it's it is proven to work for anxiety do go for it but also a lot of people who practice cbt do all the other bits of counselling as well. They do do, um, you know, depth work and they do um, working with emotions and things like that. So, yes, I mean, it has been proven to work. And But comparative studies with other types of therapy have shown that it's 
it is just as effective as other therapies. Um, but it is easier to test and show those effect sizes. Yeah, I was just thinking that as you were talking there. I didn't. I did not know that CBT was the only, like one of the only clinically proven ones. Yeah, I'm like shocked by that. I mean, this is. I feel like you know this is very much your area to like school us on because my contributions to this section will just mostly be me giving opinions no i mean um because i have not really had positive experiences with cbt i think i was very much in that sticking plaster category yeah you didn't feel it was working for you and i would say that if you ever engage in therapy and you feel it's not working for you seek out a different type of therapy or sometimes it's the therapist you know relationships don't always work and you don't always gel with each person don't see that as a reason why you can't try therapy again yeah actually see it as a reason that you need to keep trying to find the right one i Mm. promise you you'll be surprised yes i definitely agree i've definitely i can think of maybe three or four people i went to one session with and i was like I just don't like you. I'm yeah. so sorry. There's nothing wrong. I remember one woman emailing me and being like, sorry to hear you're not coming back. Is there anything I could have done differently? Mm-hmm. I think she was in training and I was just like, I didn't reply. I feel bad mm. about it. I still think about it because I'm like, I just didn't like your whole thing. I'm so sorry. So, I mean, yeah, don't feel bad, I guess is my point there. Yeah, don't feel bad. And if you are a trainee therapist um, or a practice practicing therapist currently um you might know like me that there are situations where you feel like god that person really didn't like me that was like they <laughs> attended for opinion? I've had I've had a couple of people who oh. have um who felt that I was not helpful to them and yeah. were vocal about me being not helpful to them. Okay. And the thing is, is I wasn't doing anything differently with them than I was doing with other people. So, so you balance it by feeling this is about their journey. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not. But especially when you're in training or in a very small country like our own. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Actually, two of those people... I mean, there's really not that many, just before people worry that I'm a terrible therapist, but um, (laughs) I'm actually not a therapist anyway. I don't use that term because it's... um, You're a counsellor, right? I'm a counsellor. Well, yeah, I I am a counsellor, but... um, You have been. I have been been a counsellor. I'm going to use the term practitioner, I think, at the minute. I like that. Because, so I'm a research psychologist primarily, Mm -hmm. but I have counselling training and I'm in the process of registering with the British Psychological Society. Um, and then I'll be a registered psychologist. So essentially, if I was to carry on doing some counselling work with people, I would be a practitioner psychologist. Okay. All of The reason why you have to be careful with this is these terms are protected. You right. can't just throw around a term. You can't just say, I'm a therapist. If you're not, I mean, therapists generally, we mean psychotherapists. That's, that's right. what we yeah, mean by that term. Yeah, that's my understanding of it, yeah. Yeah. So trained in some form of psychotherapy, whether that be art therapy, traditional psychotherapy, psychoanalysis, Jungian therapy, um, whereas other people, we wouldn't, a counsellor, I wouldn't expect a counsellor to call themselves a therapist, and I would be a wee yeah, bit yeah. precious about that. Um Okay, I get that. And I've lost sense. I've lost where I was going with that now. But so basically it turned out the two of those people who had felt that I was not super helpful, I actually know them in a roundabout way. Oh, like shit. I, I know someone who knows them. Okay. And I have been in their presence at like gatherings. No. Um which is, you know, can be sort of awkward. It's an ethical minefield. It's a little bit difficult. What was your training in? initially so my training was in person-centered counseling yeah is this can I interrupt and be like yeah is this car is that Carl Rogers it is Carl Rogers yes yeah. so I like when I know, I know <laughs> you know loads I know some things um sometimes so that was originated by Carl Rogers and it was actually a reaction to psychoanalysis at the time um he took against for example 
the thing that we were talking about earlier about the therapist being a blank slate so sitting behind the person silently not responding to what they were saying Mm. um responding very little you know um and also that the therapist took an expert position and uh clients were called patients Mm. at that time and um rogers wanted to move more towards a humanistic way it's literally humanistic psychology and humanistic counseling is where it comes from and and that is puts the client as the expert in in the experience and the 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 um counselor then becomes a a mirror so reflects to the person what they are what they're um bringing into the room okay and and that's to deepen people's understanding of of their experience and um, and he he believed that there were three core conditions that needed to be present for therapy to be effective and they are empathy mm-hmm. unconditional positive regard and congruence oh i didn't realize that was him unconditional oh, yeah. positive regard I, I i like have that as my sort of personal mantra yeah to keep me not being a nice person in life i try to yeah i didn't realize it was him well I thought it was um, just a since I trained in person-centered therapy, I have um, integrated a number of other techniques into my practice. Okay. Um, I don't think there's anybody really is purely person-centered practitioner anymore. But those core conditions, they, you know, continue because essentially what they describe is um, the process of making a um, quality therapeutic relationship mm. you know that's what those are the conditions that allow for a therapeutic relationship to happen okay. so for example what so, is so congruence was the third one yeah so congruence is basically the literal definition of congruence is that you're the same inside as you are outside right so it's like honesty but but more than that yeah yeah so um yeah. Oh, so okay. um essentially it's um being really yourself in the relationship, right? So the person can trust you because you are coming into the room and you're being like, hello, here yeah, we yeah. are. You're talking about as a practitioner. I'm meeting here. you as a practitioner. Yeah, yeah. And I am myself. And what you're hearing from my mouth and seeing on my face is to do with what's going on inside me. Okay. And um, that is easy for me because I'm quite a congruent person anyway. So, mm. um, but I just admire that characteristic as well yeah you you can tell the difference between a congruent person and an incongruent person because a congruent person you'll find it easy to get on with them and you'll feel like you know what they're about okay Do you know what I mean you'll be yeah. like I know what they're about and somebody who's not congruent you'll be like whoa what's confused. going on with them I'm, I feel confused and I feel like sometimes they're saying they don't say what they mean mm. and stuff like that and then unconditional positive regard is um essentially going in without feeling that you're gonna judge the person that they are by being a person they're inherently valuable and worthy of attention and um that their feelings should be heard and their you know needs should be heard and all that kind of thing okay and then empathy is um seeking to understand another person's experience yeah and um express it to them as well because i think empathy is an action it's not just a feeling really yeah, empathy yeah. should be an action that all sounds super chill it is great it is great but i have integrated other things into my practice like um i worked with brief solution focused therapy for a long time in those that kind of 612 session model okay, which yeah. while it is quick it doesn't mean that you can't do something productive during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be helpful for people to have to have goals and set goals and things like that. Um, and some CBT tools can be useful just in terms of challenging um, critical thinking errors and things like that. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, some psychodynamic techniques as well that you could bring in. I did a little bit of art therapy with the client who happened to be an artist just because it was suitable for her because yeah. she was an artist. Um, and that was lovely, you know. So basically the important part about those core conditions because they have been adopted by many other modalities is that the therapy relationship is key. So uh, when I was mentioning about CBT being 
um, evidence-based and there being a large amount of data to to indicate its efficacy. Mm -hmm. When there have been comparison studies that have looked at CBT versus psychodynamic versus counselling versus whatever. Okay, yeah. Um, what they find is something called the equivalency paradox. And essentially what it means is that all of the types of therapy are, are beneficial. Okay. Really, there's not a wild difference between different yeah. types of therapy. Um, I think the process itself is, is helpful rather than not. The data is sort of suggesting that um, different is... techniques are equally useful. Okay, yeah. Is that the like, you know, I've I've read a little bit like when they're talking about the efficacy of different, um, you know, practices or what's the word modalities? I love that word. The efficacy of different modalities. Mm. Um, the question of better than nothing is it better than doing nothing? Um, I is it not harmful? Yeah, and I find that interesting. When I first saw it, I was like, "Oh, that sounds a bit shit." To be honest, like better than nothing mm. makes it sound not that impressive. Well, I think what they're trying to do is compare it with nothing. Yeah, I mean, doing nothing. One of the other difficulties with um, counselling efficacy studies is that the control group has to not have counselling. If you're doing a oh. okay, is it better if they get counselling or don't get counselling? Okay. And very often you have to use a waiting list in order to achieve that. So you have a waiting list control group because otherwise you're basically stopping people have a counselling. Yeah. And it's just not That's ethical, no you know. Good. It's a it's an ethical minefield. I mean. But the bottom line is is that the therapy relationship is is key. Regardless and of regardless, modality. and so sometimes a, a relationship won't work because your personalities don't gel, or you just you know the the person you're not vibing with the person, right? The um, but a good therapy relationship is going to bring benefits to you regardless of the modality. Yeah, I re I I mean this kind of goes back to what we said in the first episode. I vaguely remember talking about that's the fundamental rule is largely about the relationship isn't it yeah well the fundamental rule is that you have to be totally honest, honest when you go into the room but yes i do think we did talk about this i hope we're not repeating ourselves too much because we can't really remember it now. <laughs> <laughs> you tell us <laughs> but yeah i like i love talking about the therapy relationship like i think that is fundamental because like you can search far and wide for like a really specific practitioner or therapist or group or whatever, but none of that is really as significant as um, feeling safe to like express yourself in the session or whatever the session might look like. I actually just realized that I have done other therapies that I uh, forgot to mention at yeah. the start, or like therapy adjacent stuff. Okay, that I didn't kind of didn't spring to mind initially. For example, um, group work. Oh, I have engaged with group work, and uh -huh. I would love to do it more. Um. Like it can be, I think it's quite daunting, and it's funny that we haven't brought it up yet. Yeah, groups. we haven't mentioned group therapy at all. But I, if my dad was here, we would have been talking all about groups. This would be a podcast all about group therapy. <laughs> I I used to know someone who we were discussing it, and and she had attended group therapy, and she said they call it the Hall of Mirrors. Oh, and I was like, oh my wow. god, Earth in a good way. I was like, shit, <laughs> sign me up. But I have attended Al-Anon. Yes. Which, um, for anyone who doesn't know, Al-Anon is like a wing of AA, mm -hmm. basically. And it's for people who are not in active addiction, but have had any kind of family relationship or romantic relationship or any relationship of any kind with an addict. And they feel it has affected their lives. Um, and it does follow that 12-step format mm. that people know about from AA. Yeah. Um, why did I bring that up? Oh yeah, the re the reason I mention this is because again, those groups are largely about the dynamic between the attendees, mm -hmm. and it can be massive. Like as I say, I've dipped in and out. I've never really properly done the steps, which you're encouraged to do at some point, or at least consider engaging with them. Um, but they, I guess, they provide structure to the the group sessions. Yeah. Um, but it can be incredibly impactful. Just yeah as a as a sort of short-term engagement or whatever 
like there's no um nobody's there to like provide therapy mm. to the rest of the group and there's no like leader necessarily yeah um like there's no one way support between people who are attending but i think the the thing that makes it um so impactful is there's like a mutual understanding between all the group members um that they're coming to like a space where everyone knows what the fuck the deal is like yeah what's going on and um there's shared experiences yeah and, like a lot of emotional relating goes on absolutely i think quite a charged sort of a way it's very yeah one of the things that 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 group groups of that kind supportive groups give you is they reduce isolation so they they oh they yeah. make you feel that you're not alone so it can be a very lonely experience i'm the only one suffering this way mm. so they reduce your isolation for a start and then um they give you the mutual peer support of somebody that understands entirely what where you're coming from oh my god yeah that's I, huge like, i heard a lot of clients mention that sense of they know what you're they know what you're going through whether it be a bereavement support group a depression support group um or an aa group in itself you know um going to those things and being like you know it's just hard and having everybody else in the circle nod their head yeah you know i guess the like it's not it's not better or worse than therapy they're different things but the mm. good thing about those group experiences that i've had anyway is you do not have to go in and explain your situation. Mm. It's implied by you turning up. Yeah. Like, I've typed this into Google, this very specific problem. Yeah. And I found this weird community centre that I'm now in, <laughs> drinking weird tea and eating steel biscuits, and it's great. Yeah. And you kind of leave being like, right, that was, you know, it can be brutal, but, like, it's very good. So I guess it's like, I bring it up because it's not therapy, but it's therapeutic yeah. in a sense. And there are a lot of different therapeutic things that people can try. When I, what I was thinking about um, before you started talking about that was that um, anybody who's seeking therapy for the for the first time, maybe go for something free. Like maybe go to oh yeah, that's the other a thing. Local, Those are free. <laughs> yeah, go to <laughs> like a local um, charity or voluntary organisation. You might be on the waiting list for a few weeks, but usually they'll give you an assessment session quite quickly. Um, and then they'll maybe give you six sessions after that or maybe more. Yeah. Um, usually the counsellors themselves will try to push for you to have more sessions if you feel you need it. Um, it's free. It allows you to try it out. And But also don't be disappointed if you don't get on with the person, you know, just yeah, seek yeah. out another organisation or, yeah. you know, go to your GP. Just keep trying, keep plugging, you know. Yeah, man. And so... Any other types of therapy that you're hiding, that you're sitting on there, Hannah? <laughs> yes, I have a big one. Um, EMDR. I oh, have yeah. done quite a bit of EMDR within my current therapy because my current therapist also practices EMDR. Yeah. Um, here comes the section of the podcast where I read directly from Wikipedia and yes. other websites. No, that's good because this is a complicated I should one. cite them, but yeah, I'm, I wasn't going to freeform this. So the acronym EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing and it's usually referred to simply as emdr or emdr therapy yeah um and it's a form of psychotherapy developed by an american psychologist called francine shapiro who posited that the treatment could be successful in the treatment of ptsd and depression and it typically involves the client recalling in as much or as little detail as they want a traumatic memory or an unwanted core belief about themselves or their lives and talking through the associations that they have with these while a therapist controls bilateral stimulation, sometimes using buzzers to stimulate alternating hands, or more commonly, I guess because it doesn't require equipment, yeah, moving their hand rapidly in front of the client's eyes while they quote-unquote process. Mm -hmm. um, so that's your little blurb about that. So I have done this therapy, and I have, I mean, it's quite hard. Like, it's physically... And emotionally draining but it's worked very well for me yeah um and I, I think I kind of view it I know that people do it as like a session by session you know maybe you do like six weeks mm -hmm. I think for me that would be extremely intense yeah so I've kind of treated it as like a productive add-on to my overall psychotherapy process yeah um but it's interesting like 
definitely if you're interested google it yeah um it's one of those ones that i i know what it is really um, one of my previous supervisors had had trained in it and talked to me about it to explain what it was but i don't have any training in it and i've not had any myself so you're absolutely the expert on this one well <laughs> it's probably worth mentioning that historically it's been a bit controversial in psychology oh, community yeah um do they think it's woo? They think it's woo. Ah. There's a lot of accusations of woo. There's a lot around. of that goes on in the psych- psychological I mean, don't I know it? Like, for example, while I was putting this together, this little bit of research that I did on EMDR, uh-huh. I was Googling some terms. And you know the way like Google suggests questions underneath yeah. your initial search results? One of them was, is the EMDR a hoax? <laughs> and the answer below from scientificamerican.com was simply yes. No oh, further elaboration. Wow, okay. So I did a bit of reading on that. Um, and I think it was kind of clickbaity because they went on to say, you know, there's problems with like, you know, quality of control groups and all this kind of thing. Um, but the basic uh, sort of sense of the article was like, give it a try if you want. We don't believe it at this magazine. Oh, right. Okay. So that's, you know, that's a thing. Um, make of that what you will. Yeah, maybe there's not enough clinical evidence yeah. yet to back it up. I think My understanding of facts it, wise, yeah, people are not convinced. Um, but anecdotally, you know, it's it's quite popular. Yeah. My understanding of it was that, you know, trauma therapy in general involves a recall of the traumatic incident. Yeah. yeah. With the aim being that you take the power out of the incident. So you yeah. take the um, the all affect out of it and it yeah. becomes matter of fact so post-traumatic stress disorder for example when you have flashbacks and things like that it's you know your nervous system is going right back to that yeah. I'm in mortal danger you're activated yeah you're yeah. totally activated and so trauma therapy my understanding of it was again I'm not trained in trauma therapy but um, is that the recall of the incident is supposed to take that out of it and then my understanding of EMDR was essentially was using it was um, hacking yeah. the processing unit of your brain. <laughs> I think that's maybe part of the problem is the use of language like hacking. Okay. Or I saw bypass in yeah. another place that I read. And I don't think those are really representative sure, yeah. of, the ac- of what actually happens because there's definite processing. I think the eye movement thing is meant to mimic the movement sleep. of the eyes in REM sleep, yeah. which is where your brain like you know, gets little bits of information that it's picked up throughout the day and puts them in their like appropriate folder. Oh, that's adorable image. It's I love so that. Cr- it's amazing. Thanks brains for doing that because No, thank you. I mean, brains. thank God. That's why we sleep, I guess, but um, you know, to do that consciously in waking life with another person there who you trust is a different kind of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm really not doing anything to discredit the woo thing, but no, I That's think my <laughs> yeah. I think we have to keep an open mind, really, and yeah. that that tends to be my philosophy with things like, you know, when we were talking about the Jungian stuff earlier, and I was quite surprised to hear about the divination type stuff that Jungian yeah. therapists would use, like using the tarot, or as Americans say, the tarot. Well, I think we might have just got into saying the tarot, and we tarot. could be wrong. You know, I don't know, um, and so. And the I Chi, which I don't even know what it is. You throw the I Chi, I think it's like runes of a kind of oh, yeah. type. Um, I've seen that. Because And why I'm open-minded about that, because I tend to be a materialist. You know, I'm a scientist and I, you know, I'm a research scientist. And that's where, where my, I've always been, yeah. you know, very much down that line. You don't really engage when I talk about Zodiac stuff. I've noticed that. No, I don't. I don't at Noted. All. We will keep that for the uh, Zodiac episode. But I I do keep an open mind about that kind of thing because I feel like, firstly, I think archetypes are useful because the tarot essentially is a lot of um, archetypal images Mm. that we can use to find a greater understanding of ourselves and of humanity. Yeah. And and those type of add-ons, spiritual type add-ons or... you know, stuff like sand tray or even play therapy. So mm. I had a workshop in play therapy, one day workshop in play therapy, and it was a very affecting experience. And it was for more than just me in the room. Mm. So 
we started out in group circle and um the point of the play therapy was that we were going to do some of play some play therapy exercises ourselves as a way of experiencing what what you might do yeah and within about i would say 10 minutes of us being in the room and starting to talk there was at least one person in tears oh yeah right um, we did an exercise where we visualized ourselves as a rose bush and then we drew the picture oh my God, of ourselves. I, remember you me I still this have afterwards. the picture. Um, we did clay work and we did, you know, work with little toys. And I find it deeply, deeply affecting. And um, it's, it's one of those things that you don't quite know what's happening or that yeah. anything is happening while you're doing it. So. I would always keep an open mind about those things. I mean, but you can tell even from the way we're talking about it, you can see why it's hard to measure scientifically those kinds of yeah. uh, practices. And the danger is, is that if you don't provide the figures of your efficacy, you don't get the funding because mm-hmm. the people who control the funding just want cold, hard facts. Yeah. And we, we're in danger of losing things if we don't, you know create a little bit more nuance in that particular argument um i mean one of the things that we are doing with talking about these few because we really have touched on a few types of counseling and psychotherapy and therapy in general today is um the type of things that would be available to you if you went looking for therapy in in normal just everyday kind of life yeah um in in this country, there's probably not as wide a range of types of therapy as there are in some other countries, mm-hmm. and that's because we're a small country and we don't have particular, we don't have masses of training. No, there's not good routes. We've talked about this in recent times, actually, regarding your want to train mm-hmm. in psychotherapy, and there's not um a wide range of training courses that you can't just be like oh i'm going to go to the psychotherapy training over here oh no i want to be a young analyst yeah, i'm going to go to this one over here it just doesn't exist you have to go somewhere else yeah yeah um and so sometimes you have to go um across the water as we say here to the mainland <laughs> the mainland <laughs> or sometimes you can go down south is the other thing yeah um because it's a bigger country and you know they have a few more things um and one so one of the main routes that we have if you want to be a counselor you want to just help people and you just want to go and be a counselor yeah is there's an undergraduate degree in counseling which is delivered by the colleges here the regional colleges so there's several regional colleges i think it's a two or three year degree i can't remember um and the main so that is training people in integrative counseling oh okay very often when you look up the counseling directory Certainly this is this is specific to the UK, I would say, mm-hmm. more than more than maybe internationally. But you will see integrative counsellor on the their what they're trained yeah, in. Yeah. Right. And basically what that means is they will go for counselling training and um it will be there will be a basis in maybe humanistic counselling. And then there will be CBT and there will be some psychodynamic therapy and there will be a lot of um, different modalities integrated into their training Mm -hmm. so that they can draw on a lot of different tools and techniques. Um, And so that's what a lot of people are, are training in in this country now certainly so if you see that that's what that means basically it doesn't mean that they're going to integrate you although hopefully they will. Um, it means that their practice has a lot of different modalities and tools that it can draw upon. Yeah, and, that's and, actually you know, that's good to know. Good. That's good to know that you've explained that. Because for someone listening to this podcast being like, well, I'm not trying to be a counsellor, so don't tell me about the colleges, but that is kind of good to know because I would say that that's going to be needed Oh in yeah. Ireland. Oh, definitely. I mean, the more people trained in any kind of therapeutic technique the better as far as I'm concerned the other thing that psychologists have done to open up um that area so without having to either get a clinical psychology doctorate or um do a PhD or you know something like that if you have a psychology degree and you maybe have some um counseling and you can 
apply to become a, a psychological well-being practitioner or something like there's some specific title right. that they have which is again it should improve the access cool. to to people having you know some kind of psychological assistance of some kind um and yet essentially at the point of all of that is that to give you an idea of um what those terms mean when you go looking for therapy don't be scared of the terms don't be weirded out by it yeah generally you'll come across three things and that they will be integrative um just the word counseling i'm going to say four things now cbt (laughs) or psychotherapy um and all of those are fine it really depends on what you yeah you want out of your session and also give them a try yeah just probably don't launch straight into um something that's quite out there and intense for your first experience of, of that's engaging good in advice counseling. for anything really. oh definitely yeah so does that feel like a good time to go to our agony ant corner let's solve some problems for someone okay um i have this problem this week's problem ready to read to you i'm so ready this is from anonymous young male mid-20s and he Uh writes hi my question is about my relationship with my mother oh my siblings and i have all left home and are living relatively normal lives with partners kids careers of our own etc but when i speak to my mother i find myself wondering if she wishes we were all more quote-unquote traditional She herself is not necessarily conservative, but I do find myself worrying that she misses out on the best moments of her children's successes and especially her grandchildren because she is lamenting the fact that we have, in her eyes, taken less traditional paths. For example, having children out of wedlock. How do I broach this with her without widening the generational gap between us or possibly making things worse? Oh, It's quite a biggie, I think. It's a big one. It really is. Thank you for writing that question and for your candor. Thank you so much for that. Um, so this is sort of my area, um, which oh. instantly makes me feel, um, you know, worried <laughs> about, <laughs> about approaching this. Well, it's it's much easier when you feel kind of unqualified and you can sort of say, oh, well. but um, <laughs> parental relationships and family relationships is, is what I did my PhD in. So it's sort of, of my area. Yeah. Um, and the first, very, very first thing that strikes me is, you know, wonder what is going on for the mum, really, because yeah. she's trying to communicate something which he is very lovely picking up on, mm-hmm. that she's dissatisfied in some way. Yeah. Um, and I wonder what it is she's trying to communicate. So, um, he feels that she is not enjoying her children and her grandchildren mm-hmm. because she's disappointed that what they didn't get married before having children is that what I think that's yeah I think that um that's what I pick up from it that she uh I don't know is is focusing on that more than just kind of being present right okay being in the moment and you know enjoying it mentions that she's had her first grandchild okay so I think the relationship with the grandchild is well, maybe the first grandchild it's the first oh, grandchild right, okay. I edited down the letter because it was long um, but yeah, it's the first grandchild that I should have kept that in. Significant yeah. detail. Okay. And that child has been born out of wedlock, which okay. seems to be a sticking point for her. Well, I do have some advice for this um writer, mm-hmm. writer in her. Is that is that the term? Writer in her? No, yeah. Yeah. So um whenever somebody has traditional values like this, essentially what they're doing is they're so this this parent is literally in her critical parent. Mm-hmm. So she is reflecting disapproval that she feels about this. Um, and it can be hard whenever you're wanting to reflect that disapproval because you want to correct, you want to correct the children. The children have done something wrong. Yeah. You want to correct them. So if you're in your critical parent, you're saying, no, that's no good. It's not good. Mm-hmm. And you're, um, it's a very stuck place to be. However, Usually when people, no matter how traditional traditional they are, when the, the little child comes along, the little baby, they soften yeah. their position based on the the baby being present and faultless and, and sure. existing and because of their desire to enjoy. Now, this yeah. is only the first grandchild and it has just arrived. So um, 
time can be given for that adjustment to take place. And also that person, that mum can be um, cajoled and encouraged and maybe flattered slightly Mm -hmm. into shifting her position from one of critical, you know, wanting to disapprove to um, a softer position of wanting to nurture and ah. enjoy this grandchild that absolutely can be can happen and can be done with um, a, a caring, careful and and quite pleasant way with yeah. the people. This has happened in our family, you know, Hans. Oh yeah, do tell on more than one occasion. <laughs> <laughs> it has happened. None of my grandparents are are still alive. Um, they all died when I was in my um teens and early 20s because I'm the youngest of my family so my Mm -hmm. grandparents were really quite elderly already when I was born but all my siblings were older and none of them really felt that marriage was the priority before (laughs) having children not a one of them really cared about that but of course the older generation that was difficult for them Mm -hmm. so um Granda Sonnerton, yes. for example, he was unhappy with your... With my mother? With your conception. And yeah. me being a bastard. <laughs> she has to say it. I have to say it. Um, so he was unhappy with that. Okay, but he, sure. he softened as soon as he met you. Because I was very cute by all kinds. He had the most enormous eyes known oh. to any other human that had ever been born but yeah no he softened when he when he met you and yeah that's interesting that yeah I mean who can it's hard to criticize a baby well you can't they're, they're faultless so cute. they're not at fault yeah and he but he and because he was so fond of your mum you see mm. so he was disappointed in her and yeah. um it's just those traditional values are are they're ingrained in yeah. that person you yeah. know it's not really their fault either that it, it's been ingrained in them mm. Um, so, and I mean, he softened very quickly. He's like, well, she's here now, you know, so yeah. she's So lovely. I wonder, will that happen for our, our writer in her? I think it will, but my advice would be that you can absolutely encourage that. And I would say that flattery goes a long way mm, yeah. to, to smoothing yeah. over those rough edges there. Just gentle handling and flattery. Oh, here's granny. Granny, do you want to be nurse? Yeah. And I guess... We're talking mostly about the, I guess there's baby, mother of that baby, and then the grandmother who's the subject of this letter. Mm-hmm. Um, It's her first time being a grandparent. Mm-hmm. So that's a new experience. Yeah. And I think maybe that experience gets not discussed as much because it's all about the new mother mm. and, you know, a new niece or nephew in the family. Yes. Um, and, you know, just because you're older. Uh-huh. Doesn't mean you know everything that's going on. No, that's true. Is my yeah, guess. and you know, I mean, I'm I because there's so little detail. I'm I'm hoping for the best outcome. I'm an eternal optimist, and I'm hoping that there's not more complicated things. But often there is more complicated things. For example, new mothers are like tiger mothers. They're very possessive of their babies. Yeah. And it's entirely natural that they should be. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things that's traditional in our culture to do is when a mother has a baby, tons of family crash in on the house mm-hmm. or even on the hospital and the baby is handed around. Everybody gets a hold of the baby. Yeah. Um, that sounds, I mean, I can imagine that for a new mother, they're like, stop it. Yeah. Get away. Yes, they can be. I mean, I think initially there's a kind of a, yes, hold the baby, hold the baby. Her eyes are following the baby around the room. <laughs> get the baby back to me. Thank you very much. Bye. Yeah, I'll be yeah, yeah. getting on with my life now. But after a while, it can can feel, um, you know, especially when the the hormones really start to kick in, that bonding is getting really, really strong. It's contrary to your instincts to constantly be handing the baby over to somebody Mm. and the person that often wants the baby more than anybody else including daddy is granny wow and so that can bring a lot of tension so it could be that granny especially if she's if she's indicated some disapproval yes that will have put her in the bad books a little bit Mm -hmm. and so if she's feeling in the bad books and also disapproving she's adopting an attitude that's not really conducive to 
good relations between all these people who are just going through one of the most major life changes that you can go through in your, you know. God, yeah, that's a really good point, actually. So, you the, you know, mother-in-laws and, you know, grannies in general can can put their foot in it. Absolutely. It is it is actually an, a not a very talked about, but a delicate relational situation there. Yeah. That... I mean, mother and daughter relationships anyway, without the addition yeah. of a baby, are, shall we say, intense. Uh. So that's kind of a major area. I would be interested to know what relationship this is. So is this her daughter who has had a baby out of wedlock? Yes, or it's the is daughter. This... So it's the, the writer and her sibling, I assume sister. Oh, right, okay. And so, they share a mother. Okay, well then whatever disagreements happen will be resolved because ultimately yeah. the, the daughter will turn to her mother in this new motherhood world. Regardless of previous tensions yeah i mean ultimately yeah. they'll turn back as it provided her behavior falls within normal boundaries you know yeah. but within normal realms of behavior you know and if everybody tries to smooth things over and that's everybody's aim this writer wants to help yes. the mother enjoy things more. it sounds very much like they want this to be resolved between the siblings and the mother yeah and they're worried they they actually say um I find myself worrying that she misses out. Yeah. So he's worried about a loss for her. Yeah. He's kind of saying, um, you know, you're so in the critical mm. that you're not enjoying this thing that you should be enjoying. Yeah. And that he doesn't want that for her. So there's care in there, which is nice. Well, I it's would not just say, like, my mum's a bitch. What can I yeah. do? No, carry on with the care and just lay it on really thick. You know, <laughs> if it's, it's a very emotional time for people. It really is. And so oh, I think... Tread, treading delicately and approaching with um kindness. I think I might have said kindness to the last problem. Oh, <laughs> nice. That's going to be my buzz, my buzz term. That's good. I mean, of all the buzzwords to use, like... Approach with kindness, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. lovely. That was very good. That, you were the right person to ask that question. Yeah, unfortunately, it's my area, so I felt a wee bit put on the spot. I like bringing the questions in because you just, I'm just like, Emma, what do you think? Maybe we should always do it that way. But, but then, so what we're hoping is, and we will put this appeal out again, is we're hoping that you will um, send us your questions oh, yeah. to our email address, which is thankstherapy at gmail.com. Yes. Or you can find us on Twitter, mm -hmm. just at thankstherapypod, I think, or is it at thankstherapypodcast? I can't remember. I think well, it's pod. You can you can search that up on search Twitter up. and I, I think you'll find us. Yeah. Um but we'll put links actually as well yeah, in the yeah. show notes. Um please do send us your um low stakes anonymous problems yeah, for yeah. us to muse about. We will an anonymize them yes. as much as you want as well. We will indeed. So I think that's pretty much us, Hannah. I think we've talked about all we have to talk about yeah i love talking i do like talking as I love well talking. which is lucky that's why we have we've a podcast. got a podcast now yeah. so we have to do all the talking <laughs> okay thank you hannah thank you emma thanks, thanks therapy. therapy for example clinical um psychologists practice cbt it's one of the main you know not one of the main but it's one of the toolkits in their their armory sort of thing yeah yeah I'm going to say that again because toolkits in their armory is nuts thing to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, clinical psychologists use CBT because you know it's yeah. one of it's one of the tools in their arsenal, essentially. Are you happy with arsenal? <laughs> it's one of the tools in their toolkit. I say it's one of the tools in their belt. Yeah. <laughs>